This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Love a good deal? Sail into the season at Banana Republic Factory's Mega Labor Day Sale. Entire store 50 to 70% off. Dresses from $19.99. Polos from $16.99. Find your nearest store or shop online only at Banana Republic Factory. You are listening to On the Daily, the Rotoviz Daily Fantasy Sports Podcast, powered by Rotoviz Radio. Hello, everyone. Welcome to the March 22nd, 2019 NASCAR edition of On the Daily. I'm Matt Freeman, Matt of the Oracle of the Action Network and Rotoviz. And of course, as always, I'm joined by Dr. Nick Giffen, a PhD in mathematics, a three time qualifier for the DraftKings NASCAR main events, and one of the best NASCAR DFS players in the world. You can follow him on Twitter at Rotodoc. Nick, how's it going? Hey, Matt, I am doing fantastic. Um, I am currently in a hotel just outside of the Seattle airport. Um, my wife has a conference this weekend in Seattle, so I tagged along for the ride. We're actually going to go to uh, – we, we came up early on the weekend, right? Her conference doesn't start until Monday, and we came up early for the weekend, so we're going to check out Seattle. We're also going to go up to Vancouver tomorrow and go to the Canucks versus Flames ice hockey game, uh, NHL game, and I'm gonna wear my Golden Knights stuff, of course, and uh, <laughs> yeah, Vegas Golden Knights. And we're, we got glass seats. We're literally on the glass for the game, so that's gonna be cool. But uh, I'm also ready for Martinsville, man. Martinsville is one of the best races of the year. I'm glad we go to Martinsville twice a year. Uh, obviously, also if you go to the race, the infamous Martinsville hot dog is the all the rage. They're so good. I've had so many of those over my day, but unfortunately now I live, uh, you know, on the west. Western part of the U.S. I can't go to the race as much as I used to, but uh, Martinsville is just a fantastic race and one of my better DFS tracks of all time. Do you have any plans uh, for when you're in Seattle? Um, well, so like I said, we're going to Vancouver yeah. Saturday and then we're coming back Sunday from Vancouver. But definitely when we come back Sunday, we're going to Pike. I went to Seattle for our honeymoon, which you know, so we've been back to Seattle three or four times already. Okay, so we've done nice. most of the things, yeah. but we're definitely going to Pike's place and probably getting some, you know, fresh fish and uh, grilling it up for dinner. Yeah. Uh, and then Monday, while she is out at um, the conference, I'm probably going to, you know, hop around the town and, and figure out what the heck to do. So I actually don't have any plans for Monday yet. I'm going to figure this weekend, you know, I'm going to take this weekend to figure out what I want to do on Monday. So I got, I got Monday to myself in Seattle. I don't know. I don't know. I should figure something out. Yeah. Uh, have you been to the uh, Experience Music Project? I have not. Uh, that's maybe something you'd want to check out. It's pretty cool. It's um, near the base of the uh, – what the hell is it called? Like the needle. What is the that Space mean? Needle, yeah. Yes, yeah. It's near the, the, the base of the Space Needle. Um, and it – you know, because like it has like a lot of like Jimi Hendrix stuff. But basically it's sort of like a museum for all of the uh, like Seattle rock musicians. Nice. I will definitely check that. We haven't done that yet, so – we, we did the Space Needle, and we went to a bar right across the street from the Space Needle on our honeymoon because it was March Madness on mm -hmm. our honeymoon. We got married six years ago in March, um, but like two weeks ago before this weekend. And uh, so so we were watching some March Madness, but we did not do this uh, music thing, so I'll have to check that out. Yeah, uh, it was pretty cool. Okay, so um, yeah, it's uh, sort of uh, an all-over type of weekend for you. You're in Seattle. There's a uh, March Madness happening all over the country, and of course we have. How, a by race the way, how's your March Madness going so far? Uh, it's it's going well. Um, I uh, I don't want to talk about bracket stuff at all, but I will talk about um, the bets that I've been making. Um, those have gone well from both uh, like an overall perspective of like the game. Uh, of course I know nothing about the games, so I'm literally betting what some other guys are doing, uh, in the action network app. Uh, and mm -hmm. that is working out for me. I can't take any credit on that, but I can take some credit also on the player props that I'm betting. 
Uh, and uh, today wasn't so great. We're recording this on Friday. Uh, yesterday was pretty good. Um, so uh, like at a minimum, I'm uh, I think when all of this is done, I think at a minimum, I'm going to break even. I will probably make a little bit of money on it, but uh, it will be fun having uh, kind of sweated all of these different uh, player performances, um, which is kind of what I care about a little bit more. Like I'm always kind of more interested in what the individual players are doing. Uh, and also it's just kind of a way for me to uh, start to get into college basketball a little bit more. I, I like that because some of the games, you know, it's just like, okay, this team's run away by 20 points, but then you still have at least the player props to sweat in a yes. blowout game, which is actually makes it so much more interesting. Uh, and, and, you know, even a 20-point blowout, you can sometimes sweat the game in general on the airplane because uh, my Cavaliers were once again behind to a 16 seed. But uh, I, I knew we were going to be okay, and, and everybody was on Twitter was freaking out, and I knew we were going to be fine. But, uh, no, I think I think sweating the player props is, is a great idea because you pretty much can't go wrong with having something on the game, even late in the game. Uh, if you've got one or two players, you know, you're sweating in the action there. So on my side, um, one thing I do every year, which I think is super fun is I just pick eight teams and I say, I'm going to place a fixed amount. So I, t I do $25 per team on eight teams. So I'm, I'm putting $200 in on March madness total and I bet them money line. And if they win, I take, my bet and what I won, and then I continue to bet the money line all the way to the to the elite eight. So if one of my eight teams gets the elite eight, I'm going to make all of my $200 investment back, and then some. And if it's a you know if it's a really high seeded team like a 10 seed or 11 seed, uh, can make a lot of money back. So two years ago I hit Xavier to the elite eight. Um, I decided to roll them up to the final four and lost. So I lost my $200 investment. But last year I hit Loyola and I cashed them out in the elite eight. I should have rolled them up at the final four this time. So I, you know, I got Xavier and Loyola backwards, but uh, I still made a lot of money with uh, Loyola last year. This year, right now, so far, we're four for six and I have two more teams remaining as we're recording this. So that's my March, March Madness fun. I like that. That's a good strategy. I think it's, it's it, yeah. just like you can lose 200 bucks or, you know, if you want to play $10 a team, you can lose 80 bucks. Right. Yeah. And it's nice entertainment and you have a chance to win a pretty decent chunk of change. Yeah, I like it. That's uh, I I remember you talking about that idea in previous years. And, and, yeah, it's and, my it's and, my and it's thinking, my DraftKings philosophy. It's lose small, win big. Yeah, I remember you going back and forth of like thinking, okay, do do I uh, do I bet them now that they're in the elite eight? I remember that. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, all right. Well, uh, hopefully it it works out for you this year. Uh, let's talk about Martinsville. Um, sorry. Um, uh, yeah. Let's first though recap. <laughs> I'm just going to leave that pregnant pause in. That's what it was for everyone listening. It was just the most Beautiful. pregnant of pauses. Uh, let's recap the race at Autoclip Speedway. Kyle Busch had the best car, uh, but he was also the beneficiary of a timely caution after a speeding penalty during the second-to-last round of pit stops. Uh, in all, Busch led 134 of the 200 laps on his way to his 200th, 200th career NASCAR National Series win, tying uh, Richard Petty, the king, for the most all-time. Uh, before we talk about DFS... What are your thoughts on how uh, Kyle Busch stacks up in the comparison to uh, the King? Yeah, this is this is one of the you know like we we talked about this a little bit last weekend, but now that he's actually hit 200, let's let's give some air time to this. Um, Kyle Busch 200. So the national series, the ones that are are nationwide, obviously. Uh, but not nationwide, the, the insurance place. But uh, anyway, um, yeah, the only other person who have done this is Richard Petty, who is widely known as the king of NASCAR, seven championships to his name, tied with Dale Earnhardt and Jimmy Johnson for the most championships. But uh, it's a little funny because, you know, we've got these different eras that we're comparing, and there are many more races and uh, also many more cars that race per race in the king's era but the equipment was nowhere near uh, as as equal as it is these days. So uh, what Kyle Busch has done is is pretty big, but I still think some of it is equipment dependent. If you look at, for example, uh, his time when he's at Kyle Busch Motorsports, he had his own team, KVM, Kyle Busch Motorsports. Uh, he didn't put up many wins in the Xfinity Series that year. Then uh, you know disbanded the team and went back to being Joe Gibbs Racing 
for the Xfinity Series and started crushing again. So there's still a lot of equipment that's involved in winning these races. But overall, I mean, I think it's it's kind of comparable to the King. I mean, that's a lot of races to win. He's he's also racing as much as the King used to race. Whereas you, know, you got guys like Jimmy Johnson right now, they just don't race in the Xfinity Series. They don't race in the Truck Series. Kyle Busch does. And that's the way you're going to put up those 200 wins is to race all of these races. And that's what the King used to do. He used to race a crap ton of races per year. That's the only way you're going to put up the 200. So I actually think it's a really good achievement for Kyle Busch. And I would put it, I would put it almost on par with the King. Now, obviously, all of these wins aren't at the top level of NASCAR, given that summer Xfinity and truck, for example. But, I mean, come on. Uh, we're never going to see this again, probably. And uh, the the times have changed. So I think we all have to applaud what Kyle Busch has done. Do I think it is what the King has done? I don't know. I mean, I didn't live in the 70s and, and, and the early 80s and all that. So I can't really compare. But... Uh, at least from my view, he's doing what no other driver has been able to do, and it's not even close. So I, I think that's in a way comparable to what the King has done in his era, that no other driver came close to 200 wins. And and no drivers come close to Kyle Busch's 200 wins in this era if you stack up all the series. I really love uh, sort of like these cross-era conversations about sort of like greatest of all time and how this team stacks up against that team or this driver versus that driver. So like it, it feels similar to uh, like uh, comparing the Patriots now to like the Cleveland Browns of the fifties or something. Like well, I was going to say the Cleveland Browns of this year. No, I'm just kidding. Well, no, yeah. <laughs> but, you know, like it's a team that uh, was just utterly dominant uh, one, you know, I don't know, like eight, 10, something like, like championships in a row. Um, but it was just, you know, a different era where people, uh, mm -hmm. you know, comparing Otto Graham, the quarterback of those teams, uh, to other quarterbacks after him. Uh, and, and so, yeah, I just, I kind of, I, I love thinking about stuff like that because it's, uh, it's hard to know the proper way to evaluate. Um, but, uh, yeah, it's, I don't know. I think in the end, it's just kind of, uh, it, it makes you appreciate both, uh, what happened in the past and then also the magnitude of of what guys are accomplishing now. Yeah, definitely. I mean, I think, uh, I think the, the magnitude of what Kyle Busch has done now may actually be a little underappreciated just because everybody wants to compare it to the King. But like you said, these cross era comparisons are a little tough, but, but let's compare what Kyle Busch has done now to what any other driver this era has done right. now. And it's not close. It's just not close. Uh, Certainly at the cup level, he doesn't have the most wins, but he's also not as old as somebody like Jimmy Johnson. So um, it's still not quite an apples to apples comparison. But uh, yeah, I, I think we just have to appreciate the greatness that Kyle Busch is. And uh, I know a lot of people don't love Kyle Busch because of of how he uh, you know conducts himself sometimes. But but I still think you have to appreciate the talent that he is. All right, let's uh, let's talk about some DFS. Any lessons for us to take away uh, from Auto Club Speedway? Yeah, actually, I think there's a very big lesson. Um, and this, I know, obviously, we're now only three races into the year as far as large ovals. We had Atlanta, Las Vegas, and Auto Club, which, again, all three kind of had slightly different rules in place. Now, Auto Club and Las Vegas had the same rules in place, but the tire wear was so different between the two tracks. But now we've seen essentially three different styles of of possible combinations at three different large ovals. And the funny thing is the first two races of the year, Atlanta and Las Vegas almost directly predicted auto club speedway. So if you look at uh, PJ Walsh, 24 on Twitter, uh, who obviously writes for the action network and does a lot of NASCAR betting. Uh, he posted a average lap speed from Atlanta and Las Vegas, the combined average green flag speed. So how they were running under green flag conditions. And that almost directly predicted the auto club race. So I think we need to start giving more weight to this year. Uh, even though we're only three races in, I think we need to start giving more weight to this year rather than track history at the large ovals. Because, um, you know, the people that bet track history this past weekend, you and me included on the Jimmy Johnson uh, versus Austin Dillon bet. That didn't go well. Speed this year, 
has shown that Austin Dillon has been better than Jimmy Johnson, and that trend held up at Auto Club Speedway. And I obviously don't want to just use that one example as as the end-all, be-all of, of the trend, but if you look at the top 11 drivers in green flag speed, they all finished inside the top 10 unless they were affected by Ricky Stenhouse's crash, which includes Ricky Stenhouse himself, of course. But, uh, yeah, I mean, they all finished inside the top 10, so... Uh, very predictive. The green flag speed at the first two large ovals this year was of the third large oval this year. And that also includes drivers outside of the top 10, like Austin Dillon and Jimmy Johnson. Yes. And uh, yeah, I should say last week, definitely not my best week uh, in terms of NASCAR prop betting. Uh, and so it's it's good to know that uh, we can start to kind of rely a little bit more on, on this year's data, uh, especially for the, the large ovals. Uh, Yeah, one thing I wanted to jump in here and say is for the next large oval, which is at Texas a week from now, I will be updating the sim scores so that we have a this year factor built in so that, um, you know, for the large, especially, like I said, like for Martinsville this weekend, it's different because it's Martinsville. But uh, for for Texas, which is a large oval, I'm going to have a this year yes or no factor built into the sim scores that will be more uh, dependent on this year's data. All right, uh, let's get to Martinsville. As you mentioned, uh, a large oval, this is not. Uh, we will have 500 laps uh, for a very short track, a 0.526 mile flat track to be exact. Uh, Martinsville is unique uh, in the, the circuit. Uh, so talk a little bit about what we can expect to see here. Yeah, I mean, Martinsville, good old short track racing. I love it. Um, and not only good old short track racing, but good old short flat track racing, whereas, you know, Bristol is highly banked and uh, there, there's a couple lines of racing. Martinsville traditionally has one line of racing. However, over the past couple of years, we've seen it kind of become a two groove racetrack. Uh, so it's interesting that, you know, you can get a run on the outside. You can hang out on the outside and uh, force the inside guy, pinch him down a little bit. It's it's become a little bit more of a competitive two-line race over the years. But with the new era package, I don't know if that's going to be the case. This is kind of what happened over 2016 to 2018 with the lower downforce package. I'm curious if we're going to revert to 2013 to 2015 racing style with the higher downforce package. But overall, I mean, it's still a short, flat track. It's still hard to pass. You're definitely going to see people moving other drivers out of the way, you know, getting into their rear and give a little push, knocking them out of the way. Uh, you're going to see contact on this track. You're going to see spins. Um, obviously some of these spins just end up being spins or even an hour over the straightaway and even slower in the corners. Uh, you could see some, some damage that doesn't put a car out, but certainly could set them a lap or two back. But, uh, yeah, I mean, Martinsville is just – it's good old short track racing. There's there's certainly more randomness in this style of racing, but it is still uh, a track that track position matters so much. I mean, if you're back there on 30th, you're almost a full lap down just from the green flag. Uh, so, you know, as soon as they throw the green flag, you're, you're close to a half a lap down just by starting in 30th or restarting in 30th. So a penalty is going to be huge. Track position, track position, track position is so important at Martinsville. Love a good deal? Sail into the season at Banana Republic Factory's Mega Labor Day Sale. Entire store 50 to 70% off. Dresses from $19.99. Polos from $16.99. Find your nearest store or shop online only at Banana Republic Factory. Love a good deal? Sail into the season at Banana Republic Factory's Mega Labor Day Sale. Entire store 50 to 70% off. Dresses from $19.99. Polos from $16.99. Find your nearest store or shop online only at Banana Republic Factory. All right, one of the big news stories this year uh, has been the introduction, of course, of the new rules package, uh, which at Martinsville will include the 750 horsepower uh, that was in place in prior years. However, the cars will uh, still have the larger splitter, spoiler, and radiator pan. Uh, and I believe we've had that package uh, previously for one race. Uh, correct me if I'm wrong there. But what kind of impact do you think uh, these changes are going to have on racing at Martinsville? Yeah, yeah, and you're right. We did have that at Phoenix Raceway. And, and the thing I said about Phoenix was I thought it was going to make track position even more of a premium, which – at Phoenix, it did. Um, it certainly made track position even more of a premium. And Phoenix was a race that played out really well for 
you know, subscribers, not subscribers, but uh, listeners to the podcast and following uh, the road of his live and, and following the apps and all that certainly made a difference. Now with Martinsville, a little different from Phoenix. And, and if you guys remember Phoenix, I said, I'm, I'm looking at Phoenix, New Hampshire and Richmond as the three short flat tracks because Martinsville is its own beast. And I'm still kind of doing the same thing. Uh, I'm still mostly just looking at Martinsville as its own beast and ignoring Phoenix, Richmond, and New Hampshire in this case. And if you look at the history, you kind of see the same drivers popping up, whether it's 2013 to 2015 or 2016 to 2018. So we have mostly the same drivers popping up, which leads me to believe there isn't too much of an impact on the spoiler, the splitter, the radiator pan, all these extra downforce components where you mostly see the same drivers popping up towards the top. So my answer to your question is I actually don't think it's going to have too much of an impact on the racing at Martin. So I think we're actually going to see mostly a similar kind of racing to in the past. All right. Uh, this is kind of a side question here, but uh, there is the possibility for uh, betting uh, on the race during the race. Um, are you planning on doing that? Uh, and, uh, I guess, how do you, how do you plan on kind of, uh, evaluating the, uh, the new aerodynamic package in Martinsville and how that might impact, uh, any in base, uh, in, in race betting that you do? Yeah. Yeah. So, um, I, I think overall just in race betting is interesting because, um, well, we've had it most of the year this year. If you go to my bookie AG, for example, my Um, most of the weeks they've had in race betting and, uh, by the way, they have a great promo promo code this week, but, uh, I think one of the cool things about in race betting is just like the fact that, you know, a driver has something bad happen and it's, it's an overreaction or the market hasn't caught up to a driver going towards the front, both of what we've seen this year at multiple races. So that's, that's kind of how you want to deal with in race betting. Um, but of course, all the in-race betting I've seen has been to win. So you you still can't really expect to win any given race on, on live betting. But right. uh, I think in the long run, you can definitely expect to. And I think obviously with the road of his NASCAR apps, I think you've got so much, you know, great tools and data available to you. You've got the podcast, you've got the live show. And with all that research, you should definitely be betting, especially, you know, the live betting at mybookie.ag. But of course, they also have head-to-head props. They also have uh, to-win props. They have um, futures on on the whole season. So they've got a lot of, you know, just great props over at mybookie. And I definitely uh, check them out every week for, for, for bets, whether it's the head-to-head props or whether it's group, pop, group props. So, you know, if uh, certain drivers one out of four drivers, you just pick the best of the four. Uh, a couple of weeks ago, I picked Kurt Busch plus 400, and he hit over at my bookie. So, um, yeah, I think I think just using the road of his NASCAR apps and especially the splits app, and I think the SimScores app this weekend would be great for my bookie. And again, they have a promo code this weekend, which you can they will match your deposit with a 50% bonus if you use the promo code Rotoviz. So if you go to mybookie.ag deposit and use the code rotaviz they'll match that deposit with a 50 percent bonus and uh yeah i think it's just really great for in-race betting but also just heading into the weekend with your head-to-head props and and your finishing position props your group bet props so many different kinds of bets over at my bookie all right let's uh talk a little dfs uh and uh something definitely to take note of uh is that on DraftKings this weekend kyle bush has an all-time high salary of thirteen thousand. Uh, I remember the days when uh, it was like a big deal when Kevin Harvick uh, broke the $12,000 barrier. Uh, what is your take on this? Not only uh, Bush's uh, high price tag, but pricing as a whole for this weekend. Yeah, I mean, we've been doing this for since 2015 now. So this is, I don't know, year five of this. And yeah. uh, I remember when it was a big deal when somebody broke 11K uh, or, or even there were times. pushing uh, or breaking the 13k mark um pretty cool i actually love seeing that i love seeing this because uh it's a 500 lap race 500 laps for you know laps led purposes that is that's a lot of DraftKings points that's 125 DraftKings points 
And uh, obviously, if every lap was a green flag, that would be 250 fastest laps points. Now, not every flag, every lap is going to be a green flag lap, but you're still probably going to have close to 180, 200 green flag points available for fastest laps. So that is a crap ton of Dominator points. And, you know, just kind of perusing through the Dominator history, there's guys who put up really, really large Dominator totals. So I definitely think you need to extend that price range towards the top there. But the weird thing is no driver is priced at, you know, what we've traditionally seen the floor of 4,500 or 4,400 even recently. We've got the cheapest driver, Jeb Burton, uh, not Jeff, which is his, uh, I think, uncle or something like that. Uh, I get all the Burtons confused these days, but, uh, you know, $4,900. It's not the 45 or 4,400 we've seen. So I wish DraftKings still kind of extended that low end still to the low end. I think it would make it even more interesting this weekend. But uh, I, I'm very happy with the fact that they are extending the price upward. And with Kyle Busch's re- recent Martinsville history, I don't think you can argue with it. But certainly, I don't think you can bank on Kyle Busch also being the guy to dominate the race this weekend. Um, you know, you look at, for example, mybookie.ag. Uh, he's about plus 160 to, um, you know, to win the race. That equates to if you wanted to break even on betting Kyle Busch to win this weekend at plus 160, he would need to win this race. If he ran it a hundred times, he would need to win 35 of them to break even. Uh, and uh, at Martinsville, you can't expect anybody to win 35 out of 100. Kyle Busch has not won a third of his Martinsville races over his career or even over his recent history unless you take, like, the last three races. But that's not enough of a sample size. My point is Martinsville's kind of wild and crazy. So while I love seeing the price extended up high, you know, Kyle Busch 13K, Brad Keselowski 12.4, I love seeing that. Um, it, at the same time, if, if neither of these guys ends up dominating, it is probably, you know, Kyle or Brad Kozlowski could or will. Um, but if neither does, that's going to make a really interesting DFS day with, with a bunch of middle price guys being in the winning lineup. All right. As you mentioned, uh, there are 500 laps, uh, which means that dominator points are at a premium this weekend. Uh, so many dominator points. What does history tell us about the number of dominators at Martinsville? Dude, it's all over the place. Um, this is like usually two or sometimes three or usually one or the occasion two or whatever. It's all over the place with Martinsville. I have no idea what to make of dominators at Martinsville. I mean, we look at history. Uh, I'm just going to go back to the first race of 2013, which is the first race of the Gen 6 car. Uh, Jimmy Johnson led 346 laps. Matt Kenseth led 96. And Kyle Busch led 56, which you could – maybe say as a borderline dominator. He did have 28 fastest laps, so you could, you could put it right there. The very next race at Martinsville was the same year. Four drivers led at least 60 laps, and they all had at least 54 fastest laps as well. So that's, I mean, 15 plus 25, that's at least 40 dominator points for each of those four drivers because, like I said, the 500-lap race, there's a lot of dominator points available. There have been races where... Um, you know, you had you had two dominators and everything else was spread out. Uh, for example, um, you know, the first race of 2015, the second race of 2015, you had uh, Kevin Harvick or sorry, Brad Keselowski lead 146 laps. After that, nobody led more than 38. Like it's it's just all there's a race. You know, Kyle Busch led 352 laps the first race of 2016. I mean, it's just. It's so spread out. Sometimes there's one or two. Sometimes there's four or five. Sometimes there's three. I mean, it's it's all over the place in Martinsville because it's a short track and it's it's crazy. But, you know, I certainly would plan at least on uh, probably on two because, you know, even the races where somebody led 346 laps, there's still 154 laps available for, for leading. Um, now, whether that's split up or not, you can probably expect at least one or two of the guys who, even if it's split up like 40, 40 and 20 or something, you know, at least one of the 40 guys will probably end up in the winning lineup. So you'd probably plan on at least two dominators this weekend, but I mean, it's all over the place. Okay. Outside of dominators, how are you approaching roster construction? So for instance, how viable are Joder cheap drivers? Yeah. I mean, with, with so many possibilities of, of dominators, like, like, Again, looking at the second race of 2016, Kenseth, Truex, and Jimmy Johnson just crushing the Dominator points. Those three are probably, in 2016, very expensive. 
which brings the Joe Dirt cheap drivers into play. The other thing that brings Joe Dirt cheap drivers into play uh, is just the fact that this race is so random. Um, you don't have the separation of speed that like you have at something like Auto Club last weekend with a two mile track. You know, these these cars are so much less aero dependent at a short half mile track. Uh, the aerodynamics don't matter as much. It's all about the mechanical grip and also, honestly, a lot about driver talent. That's why we always saw somebody like A.J. Allmendinger crushing Martinsville uh, until he screwed up at some point. But, um, you know. Deeper into the salaries more frequently than at something like Auto Club Speedway. Um, so. I think Joder cheap drivers certainly in play, and uh, I think all types of roster constructions are in play this weekend, which it, it kind of stinks because there's no like, oh, here's a really awesome strategy that I have, and I think we could maybe develop one, especially after practice and qualifying. But like going into the weekend, I don't have a, a big plan for a strategy. Uh, I just want to use my brain and not choose too many drivers starting too far forward that don't have a chance to dominate. That's mainly my only strategy. Strong move, Cotton. Let's see if it pays off. Um, let's talk about the model for Martinsville. What factors are going into it this weekend? Yeah, so um, I actually love that the model is really simple this weekend. Uh, it, for such a crazy race, I love the fact that the model is very simple. 10-lap average which we'll definitely see a lot of 10-lap averages with it being a half-mile track. You're going to get almost every single car running a 10-lap average. Starting position, um, which I think starting position isn't so much predictive of, of the finish because these drivers are faster in qualifying. I think it's more just a function of track position and how hard it is to come back from the 30s and 40s. Not that you can't. But even though with 500 laps, it's just it's just hard. It's just it's just hard. You there will be times, of course, where uh, pit strategy can come into play, but it's just it's just hard. Uh, so practice, starting position, recent driver rating, and so I like to look for this. The the optimal number of races I looked back at was 12 races. Normally, say 15 or 18. This happened to be 12, and I think that's because there's two Martinsville races a year: one at the beginning of the year, one later in the year. So the beginning of the year one, of course, this one requires a few races this year, plus some of last year, whereas the later one this year is taking this year data already. But we don't want to take in the full year. We want to see what drivers are hot, uh, not, you know, not like super hot, like five or six races, but enough of a sample size, 12 races. So last 12 driver rating, 10 lap average starting position, and then, of course, track driver rating. How have you done over the last eight Martinsville races? in driver rating for me and we use eight races because that builds up enough of a sample size to negate a bit of the randomness of martinsville another uh actually before that how accurate is the model yeah yeah so while while we're talking about randomness the model for martinsville uh 0.515 so like just over 50 percent accurate based off of the factors that go into the model can explain about 51 and a half percent of the variance which I think for a short track, you know, I think most people in the past wouldn't be able to predict it above 35, 40%, 45% tops for, for some of these most accurate models. But, you know, with, with modern machine learning techniques and, and all the different ways we can code up data and use different predictive factors, 51.5% is pretty good. So that's what we've seen. And I don't expect it to change all that much again with the current rules package. Uh, and what is the historical major incident rate for Martinsville? I, I imagine it's pretty high. Yeah, and I, I would uh, I would imagine it would be too. But my favorite thing about this is that imagining that is actually wrong. But uh, really, well, that's good the, to know. Yeah, but I have an explanation. You know, there always has to be an explanation. So the historical incident major incident rate at Martinsville since 2013 is 12 and a half percent, which sounds crazy, but a lot of it is kind of what I alluded to earlier in the show where you could spin out and not hit anything or you could spin out, but because you're going so slow, you don't cause major damage, but you still have to kind of come in and fix it and lose a lap or two. But we don't call that a major incident. So um, that's why I, I specifically highlight it as major incident or, or sometimes referred as DNF rate. Like you'll still be screwed in some cases, but you're not going to DNF or not have 
what we technically classify as a major incident. So the major incident rate is 12.5%, but I would believe that the actual incident rate is probably closer to 20%, but there's no way to statistically classify that, which I think is kind of annoying, unless you just manually went through every race and just classified who spun out when and why and whatever, but nobody does that. We all rely on data we can get from uh, you know NASCAR.com or, or other sources, so... Uh, the major incident rate is 12.5%, but I would say the incident rate is is probably closer to 20, but I, of course, can't actually back that up. I can say that the number of cautions is high enough to support an incident rate higher than 12.5% relative to other 12.5% incident races. Love a good deal? Sail into the season at Banana Republic Factory's Mega Labor Day Sale. Entire store 50 to 70% off. Dresses from $19.99. Polos from $16.99. Find your nearest store or shop online only at Banana Republic Factory. Love a good deal? Sail into the season at Banana Republic Factory's Mega Labor Day Sale. Entire store 50 to 70% off. Dresses from $19.99. Polos from $16.99. Find your nearest store or shop online only at Banana Republic Factory. Let's talk about the schedule this weekend for on-track activity, uh, which is uh, very out of the norm from what we normally see. Uh, no practice or qualifying sessions on Friday. Instead, there are two practice sessions on Saturday, followed uh, by a qualifying session late Saturday afternoon. Uh, does the fact that practice takes place before qualifying impact your analytical process? I'm imagining it has to. Uh, I would say mostly no. Um, mostly no. I'm, yeah, I'm you, really, you're I'm striking really out here, dude. Yeah. You're, yeah, you're striking out. But um, the reason I would say mostly no is because we are not looking at single lap speeds for this weekend at all, period. We're like, you look at the top 30 models, it, it gives me the top 30 models, and then I pick the, the best traits from the top 30 models. None of the top 30 show single lap speed, zero, period. So even though teams will make single lap runs or, or two or three lap runs for qualifying purposes to try to have a good qualifying setup, they'll largely be using especially the second practice as a test session for the race. 10 lap, 20 lap, even 30 lap averages we'll get hopefully from Fox on TV. Uh, you know, hopefully we'll get that information. But at minimum, we're going to have 10 lap data and that's what we're going to be using. That's what the model uses because – we don't get consistent 15 or 20 or 30 lap data from NASCAR. So there's no way to build a model off of 15, 20 or 30 lap data. But with 10 lap data, at least we have a consistent model. And it shows up in the first 29 of the first 30 uh, models. The, the 30th model somehow doesn't have 10 lap average. Uh, but uh, yeah, I think I think we're going to look at practice one as kind of like the warm up session. Practice two will be a little bit later in the day, closer to the start of the race time, which will be likely closer to the race day temperatures and track conditions so most likely the second practice 10 lap average will and and longer run speed if you watch the the actual practice coverage on fox sports um that will be what we look at and that's what we usually do most weekends it just happens to be after qualifying instead of you know most weekends it's after qualifying instead of this weekend where it's before qualifying so it actually doesn't really impact the process but uh yeah, I mean, um, it, it's just kind of – it's just different in the fact that it's completely compressed, the schedule is. Something that will uh, impact the process is the schedule for qualifying. Uh, this weekend, there is no pre-race qualifying inspection, uh, meaning all inspection will take place Sunday morning. So if a driver's uh, team fails Sunday morning inspection, his qualifying time will be disallowed. Uh, and he will have to start from the rear of the field for both DraftKings and actual racing purposes. Uh, how does that impact stuff? Yeah, I mean, this is this is a bigger impact than the fact that practices before qualifying, um, especially at a short track like Martinsville, uh, where where you know practicing before qualifying will get those 10 lap averages. It's not going to be a big deal. But the fact that qualifying inspection is after qualifying is so much more important than when qualifying inspection is before qualifying. When qualifying inspection is before qualifying, if you fail qualifying inspection, you can still qualify. You can still adjust your car to pass inspection, get out on the track and make a qualifying lap. But when it's after qualifying, if you qualified with an illegal car, with a car, a car that failed inspection, 
they're going to disallow your qualifying time, which means you didn't actually post a qualifying time. It's be your qualifying time is starting in the back. So there's always a lot of confusion around, oh, this driver went to the back. Does that affect everything? The answer 100% of the time is based off of when an inspection was. If the inspection was before qualifying, the driver made a qualifying lap, and then he went to the rear of the field, it was for something that happened after qualifying. His qualifying time is fine, which means he keeps his qualifying position for DraftKings purposes and goes to the rear of the field, which is kind of like a you know penalty under uh, a pit stop, for example. But in this case, this weekend, it's the exact opposite. Qualif- inspection is after qualifying. So it's like qualifying never happened for the driver if he fails inspection. So he will qualify in the back, meaning if a driver, let's say it's Kyle Busch. I'm just going to use Kyle Busch as an example. Let's say Kyle Busch's car is illegal for qualifying. Let's say he wins the pole in qualifying. But then Sunday morning, when they inspect the cars, he fails inspection. He didn't win the pole, that means. He did not have a qualifying time, period. Even if he actually qualified in the pole in the session, his qualifying time is disallowed. He starts at the rear of the field for DraftKings purposes, and he will start in the rear of the field in the race. So it's like he qualified 36th or 38th or whatever ends up being last place this weekend uh, and did not win the pole. It's like he that's like the pole running lap never happened. So um, there's a lot of confusion around that. And I want to do the best I can to explain that because every year, multiple races, you know, two thirds or three quarters of the way into the season, we still get questions about it. So I want to try to get in front of it as much as possible. But, uh, yeah, definitely definitely something that can affect it. And that's why we can't really introduce a model until we know who has failed inspection or not failed inspection. What I will do this weekend, and I'm getting a little ahead with the schedule, but I will at least have the sim scores ready after uh, Saturday qualifying to at least see how the drivers will perform, assuming they're starting in that uh, expected spots. Now, if they fail inspection, that'll change things because starting position is an important factor this weekend. Uh, and that's why I can't just go run the model without starting position, but starting position goes into the model this weekend. So um, it's going to be hard to update the model until you know after inspection on, on Sunday. But uh, at least with the sim scores, you can get an idea of where the cars are supposed to be performing as long as they don't fail let's talk about some uh drivers which guys relative to salary are you uh looking at prior to the on-track activity on saturday yeah i mean um i think this weekend's a really fun weekend because you get a track like martinsville where uh driver talent so much more comes into play and suddenly you've got drivers that Looking at drivers like Clint Boyer, Jimmy Johnson, uh, Chase Elliott, you know, these three drivers are all in the 8K range. So you got Jim, uh, Clint Boyer, 8,400, Chase Elliott, 8,200, Jimmy Johnson, 8,000, know, the lower half of the 8K range. All three of them actually show really well in the splits app if you just look at Martinsville history. Um, Jimmy Johnson, Sixth best, sorry, fifth best in driver rating at Martinsville since 2013 when you remove each driver's DNS. Clint Boyer, seventh best. And then Chase Elliott since 2016 uh, also pops up there as the sixth best. So, um, you know, different time frame, obviously, because he's a rookie, but or not a rookie, but he's a younger driver. But um, you know, all three of these drivers pop up in the top six or eight drivers, and they're all priced down in the – 12, 13, 14, 15th most expensive driver range. So I think it's a really good weekend if uh, if you can find one or two dominators, but especially if one of these two guys ends up being a dominator, or one of these three guys, Boyer, Elliott, or Johnson, ends up being a dominator, that's great. But without it, you know, I think I, I think there's still ways to get one or even two of these drivers into your lineup, uh, depending on the way the dominators work out. So I'm certainly looking at those guys. Another driver that I'm looking at, I think is a little, bit of a surprise at uh at martinsville might be somebody like alex bowman now we talk about him a lot at phoenix raceway but we don't really talk about him at martinsville but he still has good track history at martinsville um outside of you know I, what i would say would be the big name drivers uh he comes in as maybe the second highest ryan newman and then alex bowman um and then everybody after that 
Austin Dillon, Eric Jones, Almarola, Almar- Almar- you know, there's, there's drivers like Jones and sometimes even Suarez that are priced ahead of Alex Bowman. And uh, again, both Jones and Suarez are priced ahead of Alex Bowman this weekend, but I think Alex Bowman should be priced ahead of both of them just based off of their Martinsville histories. And uh, the cool thing is for all three of these drivers, Jones, Suarez, and Bowman, um, you can basically just take from 2016 or 2017 to present because they're all uh, in this premium equipment since 2016 or 17, depending on the year they started. So uh, the splits app is an accurate comparison between the three of them. And Bowman just crushes both Jones and Suarez here. So uh, by 10 driver rating points, by four average running position points, uh, places. So um, certainly I think uh, that, um, you know, Alex Bowman is a, is kind of a cheaper driver. I know I mentioned drivers in the 8K range, but uh, so being 7,400 for Bowman isn't that much of a discount, but he's still a little bit of a cheaper driver that you could, you can kind of gravitate toward. And what about the drivers who appear overpriced? Yeah, I think a, a driver that driver rating that's behind Boyer, uh, Kurt Busch, not Kyle, obviously, but Kurt Busch, Larson. Uh, speaking of Larson, I think he's a little overpriced. If you look at DraftKings, um, he is right there as the seventh highest priced driver, but uh, I, I don't think he's the seventh best driver at Martinsville. Uh, driver rating below you know, Jimmy Johnson and Chase Elliott in recent years is not good enough for, for a driver like Kyle Larson. He's right neck and neck with Kurt Busch and Clint Boyer, so um, you know, I, I think Kyle Bush, or Kyle Larson, I should say, is a little bit overpriced. Another driver that's overpriced, Eric Almirola. Um, we only have kind of one year of data on him because Stuart Haas Racing is is a huge upgrade over when he was at Richard Petty Motorsports. But even then, his driver rating last year, 88.2 average running position of 12th, uh, average finish of 12 and a half, just not good enough. Um, even though he is, you know, priced as the 10th highest driver, you know, he's he's performed as the 12th best driver. So probably a little overpriced there for Almirola. So Blaney, Almirola, and Larson, I think, are probably a little bit overpriced this weekend. In the Joe Dirt Cheap drivers, uh, who are the guys most in play at Martinsville? Yeah, we talked about the fact that Joe Dirt Cheap drivers are actually in play uh, at Martinsville. And I think it's really cool because a driver – which I think both you and I have a little bit of a fondness for Landon Castle uh, is, is in play at Martinsville Speedway. He's got the, get this, the 10th most DraftKings points uh, in recent history at Martinsville. Uh, and that's because, you know, he averages a 31st place or a 32nd place starting position and ends up finishing an average of 21st or 20th. Um, so you know, depending on the splits that you use in the splits app, but, by and large, Landon Castle is the driver you want from the cheaper drivers heading into the weekend. Obviously, things could change, but uh, Landon Castle looks like the guy we want to be betting on for Martinsville. And the cool thing is when we interviewed him a couple of years ago, it was prior to the Martinsville race because he's just that good at Martinsville. So bet on Landon Castle if you want a cheap driver. All right, the content schedule. Uh, you mentioned that you are in Seattle. You will be traveling up to Vancouver. Uh, and then on top of that, uh, as we mentioned earlier, it's just kind of a weird weekend in terms of uh, when the practicing is and uh, qualifying and inspection. So uh, what is the content schedule? Yeah, I don't think we can expect anything until Sunday morning. Um, I'm going to the hockey game in Vancouver on Saturday evening. So, of course, with qualifying being so late on Saturday – uh, for Martinsville time, which of course is on West Coast time, but even then I'm going to be getting ready for the game and all that. Um, we can't expect anything until Sunday morning. I will definitely have the sim scores updated. Qualifying inspection takes place instead of doing a model and all of that. I will probably just do a road of his live show from my hotel room, uh, but uh, haven't completely confirmed that yet. Just kind of playing it all by ear. I'll let you guys know on Twitter and everything this weekend, but you can definitely expect sim scores splits app for Martinsville. You you don't need to use year to date data, just use Martinsville data. Uh, so mainly just the sim scores will be updated at some point after qualifying, which will probably be Sunday morning while they're doing an inspection. I'll get all that updated and then probably try to do a road of his live show once inspection is over. Okay. I am going to try to make life a little bit easier for you by saying just, Plan on not doing uh, the models. 
You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, like, yeah, yeah, exactly. People, people can they can deal with it. They're they're not subscribing. You know what I mean? Like that's that's what you get. You know? Well, of so, course. Uh, well, that's what I'm saying. Is like I think after qualifying inspection, I think the best thing to do instead of running a model that just has random fantasy, not random, obviously it's some it's a statistical model, but like to to people looking at it, it's like where did he get these fantasy point projections from? It'd just be easier to do a live show. So yeah, I that's I think that would be a lot better. Yeah, I think that makes sense. And uh, for the people who are going to be relying on uh, sim scores and on the uh, the splits app, uh, what do you think is kind of like the right combination of using those to think about uh, performance? Yeah, I think that's a great question. I think um, the sim scores are going to be huge because Martinsville is Martinsville. Like it hasn't changed from like when I looked at the splits app, the 2013 to 2015 drivers were much more correlated with the 2016, 2018 drivers. than we talked about a week or two ago yeah. with the fast tracks. So you're getting a lot of the same drivers at top. So I think it's pretty reliable that the things we're looking at make a lot of sense. And when I look at the, when I look at the model itself, the things that go into the model this weekend, which of course I may not have time to run the model, but the things that going into the weekend I'm looking at, they all make sense intuitively as well. Long run speed, starting position because track position is so important, recent history and track history because Martinsville is such a driver track. You know, that's why I always see, like I said, somebody like AJ Allmendinger popping near the top. Danica Patrick always seemed to do well at Martinsville. Like, this is a certain type of driver's track. And uh, so all the things that go into the model really make sense. And all of those things are going to be the things that are weighted heavier in the sim scores as well. So I think the sim scores are going to be huge. Um, I think the splits app is going to be huge because you can straight up look up all these things. You can look up track history. You can look up last 12 race history. You can look up, uh, you know, uh, you can't look up practice times, of course, but you have access to the practice times and you can look up driver starting position. But but the two things in terms of history that you can look up easily accessible. It's going to be pivotal to understanding the range of outcomes possible this weekend. Okay, Nick, good show, good stuff. That is going to do it for this NASCAR edition of On The Daily. For Nick Kiffin on Twitter at Rotodoc, I'm Matt Friedman, Matt at the Oracle. Thanks for tuning in. Thank you for listening to On The Daily, the Road of His Daily fantasy sports podcast powered by Road of His Radio. And special thanks to Randy E. Aguabo for the introduction. Please review the podcast on iTunes under the established Road of His Radio feed. Contact us via email on the daily DFS at gmail.com and follow us on Twitter at on the daily DFS. Love a good deal? Sail into the season at Banana Republic Factory's Mega Labor Day Sale. Entire store 50 to 70% off. Dresses from $19.99. Polos from $16.99. Find your nearest store or shop online only at Banana Republic Factory. Love a good deal? Sail into the season at Banana Republic Factory's Mega Labor Day Sale. Entire store 50 to 70% off. Dresses from $19.99. Polos from $16.99. Find your nearest store or shop online only at Banana Republic Factory. Sugar Ray Leonard, Roberto Duran, Marvelous Marvin Hagler, and Thomas Hearns. Legends, whose four-way rivalry defined one of the greatest eras in boxing history. Relive their decade of dominance in the new Showtime sports documentary, The Kings, a four-part series premiering Sunday, June 6th, only on Showtime.